think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 311 of Low Limit Football on this 10th of January, 2021. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, 19-year-old Matthew Hoppe becomes the first American to score a hat-trick in the Bundesliga, helping Schalke to their first league win in almost a year. The last of the League of Beatons has fallen as Milan drops a 3-1 defeat at the hands of Juventus ending their perfect season and we'll have not one but two great guests today as we welcome in Tim Vickery to chat about South American football as well as Austin FC's head coach Josh Wolf to talk about the challenges of starting an expansion team but first let me get my co-host in here Mr. Roberto Rojas how are you my friend how was your week it was good it was really cold though and it sucks because I wish I was back in Paraguay where it's like 100 degrees right now but uh, no besides that I am I am doing well and and you know Joe I think between you and I I think it's great that we're doing an, another episode because after everything that we've been through over the last few days I'm sure everyone is well aware about what we're going to be talking about obviously with football but obviously on everyone's minds is what had occurred in DC a couple of days ago but I think um, for me, at least, it's it's a good distraction to to get away from all the the unnecessary drama that was made in the last few days. No doubt, there's there's been a lot of it, and uh, and and hopefully things improve as we as we head through the season uh, the season the year. Um, twenty twenty one certainly has gotten off to a rocky start, and uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, in this country at least, hopefully things will get better because there is uh, the, the world is watching. Um, and they don't like what they see uh, from from all the reaction that I've seen and heard and read. Uh, they don't like what they see. Uh, the things that have happened in Washington, D.C. this week just don't happen in the United States in the greatest democracy in the world. And those aren't my words. Those are the words of world leaders from around the world. So hopefully things uh, things start to improve because we can't uh, we can't go on this way as, as a nation. So but, uh, you know, let's uh, let's stick to football today. Let's 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 stick with that. And uh, my friend, 
Normally, here's where we insert the trivia question, and you have the honors, so the floor is yours, my friend. Right. So in relation to uh, speaking to Tim, who we had a really great discussion on about the Copa Libertadores, obviously we're in the semifinal stage, and we have four teams, four former champions, Joe, actually. So one of them will be winning their uh, another championship for the first time in quite some time. But my trivia question to you is, out of the four teams that are still left, Boca Juniors, River Plate, Santos, and Palmeiras, out of those four teams, can you tell me how many Copa Libertadores titles have they won combined? Okay. I'm just writing that down. Um, I'm going to take a shot at it, and uh, hopefully we'll have an answer soon. I mean, you know, Boca and River certainly have the the bulk of those over recent memory and, and recent history, but... I would say there's going to be quite a few there for Palmeiras and definitely quite a few for Santos. So uh, that's an interesting question, and we will uh, we'll see at the end of the show. So let's uh, let's jump into opening thoughts, my friend. And, and opening thoughts today, we wanted to go back and check uh, check in on both the Bundesliga and Ligue 1 because those seem to be two of the tightest races going in. We talked about in the opening monologue the the dramatics of Matthew Hoppy, the 19 year old American getting his start at Schalke, not his first start, but getting a start at Schalke, returning a natural hat-trick, allowing Schalke to win their first league match since January of 2020, January 17th, uh, a 2-0 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach, and giving them their first win of the season. Obviously, things have been very, 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 very rough going on at Schalke to, to having gone that long, but the title race seems to be tightening up a little bit Given the results that we had over the weekend, uh, RB Leipzig losing to Dortmund 3-1. We had Mönchengladbach beating Bayern Munich 3-2. Uh, Mönchengladbach, the only team to have beaten Hansi Flick's Bayern Munich twice so far. Uh, I thought that was an interesting little factoid. But as we look at the top of the table, Bayern lead the way 33 points. Leipzig um, dropped to 31 points, uh, both of them losing, and it allowed the, the league to get a little tighter. Bayer Leverkusen could not take full advantage. They draw on the weekend and are at 29 points. Borussia Dortmund, obviously, with their 3-1 victory, moved to 28. And then we even have Union Berlin at 25, along with Wolfsburg uh, at 25. And outside the European positions, a, a team that's in the round of 16 in the Champions League, Munch, Borussia Mönchengladbach, at 24 points. Um, the results this weekend, obviously the only winner in the top six teams uh, was Borussia Dortmund with their victory over RB Leipzig. What do you think is, is you know, how do we think this is proceeding, Rob? Because we, we've we seen this before. We, we've seen this story. The Bundesliga gets nice and tight. Ultimately, Bayern usually wins. They've won the last few. But uh, it's always a struggle getting there. And this Bayern side, you and I both agree, is is one of the absolute best teams in world football right now, if not the best. So to see this Bundesliga race stay tight, you know, at, at roughly the halfway point, they've all played 15 matches. We're just short of the, of the halfway point. Um, what are your thoughts? Because this to me is shaping up to be just another fascinating run. Yeah, and, and obviously I don't want to poo-poo the entire season because I, I, you and I are the last people that want to, to see a title race uh, in this Bundesliga title. But yeah, it, it kind of feels like deja vu in a way. Mm. Deja vu in the sense that we've seen races get tight and ultimately the team that does perform well is the team that usually has the most depth, and that's Bayern Munich. So, you know, even though two points might seem tight and then looking at teams that are coming behind them as well, I mean, it, it's been fascinating, honestly. But like you said, I, I think 
it, it'll be interesting because we're not even at the halfway mark yet, Joe. I think we're in match day 30, 15. 15, yeah, and there's 34 games. So, you know, we're not even halfway there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, I, I think we can definitely make a good assessment of how at the halfway mark there is a, a tight race, not just in the uh, for the title itself, but I think for the, the final spots in Champions League, Europa League, and the, the Europa Conference League that they're going to start implementing next season um i think it will definitely be a test about how well these teams and you know i think four of them yeah munich leipzig dortmund and um and munching Gladbach are in the champions league round of 16 so obviously we don't know how far they'll be in the competition you know some of these teams might go far some of these teams might get eliminated that kind of thing i mean obviously knowing how bayern is they're definitely one of the clear favorites to repeat as champions of of the Champions League and, and, and to win the treble, by all sense. Um, so it will be definitely interesting to see how they'll be able to manage, you know, their depth, because I think that's ultimately what decides titles. I think ultimately when you're a team that is obviously well-organized um, and, and very, very good on all fronts through an entire season, that is what gets you over the line to be champions. And that's ultimately what Bayern have done over the last few seasons that allowed them to become so successful. I mean, they are a team. I mean, they they have the most goals scored in the Bundesliga. They have 46. That's 15 more than the one the teams that are in second with Borussia Dortmund, Union Berlin, who have scored 31 goals respectively. So clearly, they 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 can score goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ultimately, I, I think, you know, unless they start to sputter a bit more, and you know, looking at the schedule that they have real quick. I mean, they do play um, Freiburg, um, you know, a Freiburg side that are currently in, if I just want to make sure what, team, what position they're in, um, they're in eighth place so far. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not going to be um, a, a pushover, but certainly a, a result that Bayern can get the three points from. And then you look at other results, they got Augsburg, then they got to play Schalke. And obviously, given that Schalke won their first game of the season... Um, you might expect the Bayern, and of course, this was the same Schalke side that Bayern uh, defeated 8-0, if you remember, at the first game of the season. So clearly, they they have the the authority. And and just looking at it, I mean, you would expect the Bayern shouldn't drop points for this, but now the big question is, can the other teams follow suit? Meaning, if Bayern drop points, then that means the other guys that are coming in, you know, your Leipzig, your Leverkusen, your Dortmund, you know, Dortmund, who had beaten Leipzig uh, yesterday as, at the time of recording, you know, with Erling Haaland scoring a brace, Jane Sancho getting on the score line, they need to now be consistent. You know, they can't fail. They, they need to take care of these opportunities and these chances that Bayern get because they won't slip a lot. They won't slip a lot. And if they do slip a lot, that could indeed decide the title itself. But the key factor, I think, for me is that if Bayern do slip up and, you know, they drop points and whatnot, then the other teams must also capitalize on getting those three points and getting the results necessary. Because if they don't, then that means we're just at the same spot that we were uh, even before uh, Bayern Munich drop points. So that's how I see currently the race right now. I think it's still a, a, I think it's still very tight. I think Bayern is still the clear favorite to win it. But it'll definitely be interesting to see how much they will afford to lose uh, because they lost their second game of the season. If they continue to lose, how those teams that are coming uh, at their neck also take care of that um, that opportunity that gets to them.
Yeah. You know, you bring up a good point about the depth part because, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, I just went and did a quick look, but the Bundesliga is the only team that has sent four teams to the round of 16 of the Champions League. All the other leagues lost somebody along the way and are down to three or, or less. And and so when you incorporate that for, for Bayern Munich, for RB Leipzig, for Dortmund, and for Mönchengladbach, and then you incorporate the competition of the DFB Pokal, you, you really create um, a, a crammed up... Um, league race or title race uh, you know I, i'll take italy for example when we talk about inter inter were completely knocked out of europe there's there's no you know there's no europa league there was no second chance they're completely out and their focus is really now to win the scudetto that's that's what they want here there are so many fronts that that i think depth really becomes important and for me um, you know, we always talk about Leipzig being a young team, and and I and that still holds true for them. And I do think youth will be on their side. Dortmund is also another very young team that I think youth will be on their side as well. Although having sacked Lucien Favre is is an interesting thing that they're going to have to navigate as they make the run in all of these different uh, tournaments. But you know, you look at the depth, you look at the the experience, and and and, and all fingers point to Bayern as as being able to. I don't want to say run away with this, but certainly get a little distance. The one the one loss on the weekend to Mönchengladbach is, is a little bit more of a blip on the screen than it is a, a catastrophe for them. I do think that the other teams might have trouble maintaining that that speed that Bayern is going to run through at the top of the table. And, and, and you could see something like that because there is there is so much else to play. And, and I know we still have, in many instances, we still have the five sub rule and that sort of thing, but... When you're when you're competing on this many fronts, and we've talked about that in non-COVID times, it is difficult to manage, and and the and the Bayern depth will certainly serve them well. Um, you know, I, again, we predicted that Bayern would win the league at the beginning of the year. I, I don't see a reason to change that, but I do see with all the competitions here that this may tighten up a little bit, and then you'll see Bayern start to edge out a little bit and 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 really move forward to that that final hurdle. Um, things are a little bit tighter in France than they are in Germany, which is something sort of amazing with the, with the results on the weekend so far, Lyon currently, really Lyon rescuing a point uh, on the weekend in a, in a two, two draw at Rena, another team that's chasing the title at the top of the day, uh, the table, but Lyon currently leading the way at the halfway point at the true halfway point in Ligon on 40 points, PSG and Lille both one point behind. And then you get to Monaco, Rena at 33 points and Marseille at 32 points. This is another tight race and another situation where a head coach has changed now that we finally officially sacked uh, Thomas Tuchel and have brought in Maurizio Pochettino at PSG. This one, again, we talk about depth and, and, and the ability to compete on, compete on multiple fronts. Now, PSG is going to be the, the team that's going to compete on those multiple fronts. But this one seems to me, Rob, in my gut, that this one could stay a little tighter a lot longer than I think the Bundesliga does. What are your thoughts on on how tight this race is at the halfway point? And can teams like Lyon and Lille, Monaco and Rena and Marseille keep up that pace with uh, PSG? Well, that's going to be the big question. I, I think ultimately, I think what Lyon has been doing, and obviously we know how talented this Lyon side is. This isn't something that has been going for, for just... Um, for just one season, you know, we saw them obviously make the semifinals of the Champions League, and you know, um, I, I think they are definitely a side that um, should not be underestimated. I think only losing one game this season and and, and doing so with a side that is is really 
I don't want to say less in quality, but they definitely do not have the the financial strength of a PSG, for example. So for them to to be in that race um, is incredible. And I think you know when you have team like Lille, who are also a good side, they've also competed on all levels um, in the competition uh, over the last few seasons. They are one to look out for. And and again. It'll all depend on this kind of depth and how much these um, these season go through. Obviously, PSG have to play the Champions League against Barcelona. Lille are in the um, are in the Europa League. Lyon, I think, are are really in a good spot because they don't have to play for anything. You know, the only thing they are playing for is the Ligue 1 and the Coupe de France. So they're maybe in a bitter situation where their team is not. Um, suffocated by a by an intense schedule of so many games in the competition i think ultimately as you said joe and i think you've said this quite some time that we we will see what psg can do under mauricio pochettino because you know uh usually when a manager comes in this late in the season it doesn't end well i'm not saying that he that pochettino set up to fail at psg i think he's a great manager and he has every right to be successful there and i think he will be but it is interesting on what you say on the whole, can they hold on to that? So I think for me, the big thing will be, of course, how, and mind you, Joe, you know, this is also, we're still in the January transfer window. There have been some rumors going through Leon. I think I just saw mm. a couple minutes ago about how Musa Dembele, who I really enjoy, he's a really good player. I think he's very underrated and he's done so well this season for Leon. Um, Actually, no, what am I saying? Not, not this season, but last season. I think he's still a talented player. You know, he's probably linked to teams like Atleti and, and other teams like that. Depay, Memphis Depay, who's had 11 goals and he's the team captain. He's been linked to Barcelona. So, yeah, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see what has what's going to happen to these players if they're able to keep them um, after the January transfer window. I think if they do feel as if though they are they are well tight and, and, and they have their players still at their disposal and Lyon have every right to to be in this title race. And I think for PSG, you know, obviously a side that is trying to balance all of its star players and, and trying to find the best out of everyone. Um, Pochettino has a huge task. I think it's a it's immense pressure because obviously he's going to be a manager that needs to return silverware. Mm-hmm. I think that that's ultimately if, if they're not able to get anything that could be a, a huge danger on his future. And then maybe, possibly, I'm not saying that it could happen, but they probably will get rid of him if, if they're unable to get silverware. So, yeah, I, I think that's going to be the big part. I think similar to what we see in the Bundesliga with teams with depth, who especially are much more financially strong, they'll be able to go through the entire league season and, and try to get some sort of silverware. But I think just because of the situation that these teams are in and how tight it is, I think... Um, we are seeing a much more tighter race than, and a much more interesting race than what we're seeing in the Bundesliga. Yeah, and you know, I want to go back to to the Lyon uh, saga here, and obviously, like you said, Moussa Dembele, uh, the rumors coming out that he might be going to Atleti. Uh, it looks like there may be a good agreement in place. Um, you know, he's and you mentioned Memphis Depay. That's always the one, right? He's the prize, I think, at Lyon where people are looking at him and saying, hey, is this the guy that we can get to bring in? He's been rumored to go to multiple places. You have uh, the Cameroonian striker, uh, uh, Carl Toko Akambe, who is also sharing quite a bit of the goal scoring there uh, at Lyon as well. Uh, we talk about Hussein Awar, the, the midfielder. There have been a lot of rumors for him. 
possibly going to, to one place or another. So there are there are people looking at their teams looking at this Leon side to pick things off. And you wonder, can they hold off the temptation of selling these players long enough to make a run at uh, at at Ligon and, and see if they can uh, they can knock off PSG and, and get back to where they were. If you remember, before PSG went on this massive 10, 12-year run of dominance, um, it was Lyon that was that was always the team that was there. So we'll have to see if they're able to manage and, and maintain their parts, especially these, these parts that are working well for them, because um, even when you look at Memphis Depay this weekend, he's the one that asked, actually rescued them and, and picked up the, uh, the point with the late goal uh, in the draw. It's something that is going to bear watching. And, and Lil, like you said, going down to the Europa League, multiple competitions. Do they have the depth that can manage multiple competitions? We, that will be something that is is going to be uh, seen as we move on. So, let's table our, our roundup of the discussion of those two leagues, and let's get to our guests because we had two enormously fantastic guests. The first one, we had a great interview with the incoming head coach with the newest head coach of the newest team in MLS, Josh Wolf from Austin FC. We got to talk to him about the, 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 tr- the struggles of starting up a, an expansion team. What are we looking for? What players style of coaching, that sort of thing. Uh, and the challenges with that, both personally and professionally, we did get a chance to talk to him about many of those things. So without further ado, the head coach of Austin FC, Josh Wolf. Joining us now on Low Limit Football, former U.S. men's national team player and current head coach of Austin FC, Josh Wolf. Josh, welcome to, sh- to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. I want to open up the questions real quick uh, by asking, of course, my first one. This is your first head coaching job after having been an assistant coach with the Columbus Crew, D.C. United, and the U.S. men's national team. You're also doing it in an expansion city for the city's first professional team. What are your top priorities for both you professionally and personally for your family as you embark on this new adventure? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot that goes into to answering that. I think being an expansion team, uh, the, for me, the priority is is what what type of organization are we building, and um, you know, and then that bleeds into what type of what type of team do you want to be on the field. And I think since I've gotten here, there's you know, I, I put a big importance on surrounding myself with, with high level people and um, you know, bringing people into this project that I believe in and and, and obviously believe in what we're going to try to be about. And, and Claudio Reyna was hired shortly. Uh, after I was, and, and again, some of the next people that came on board with Dave Tenney and our high performance and, and Manuel Junko with our scouting, uh, these are people that understand what, what we're going to look like and how we want to play and, and how important it is uh, that we, we create a good identity, we create a good environment and a good culture. And, um, you know, from, from that side of things, that's, that, that became the real priority professionally and, and, and certainly getting this organization up and running. And then personally for me, it's it's again, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a responsibility and uh, it, it's one that I, I take very seriously. I, I've known Anthony for a number of years and I know a lot of our staff. And as I've been here over the last 18 months, um, I, I feel a great energy and a great responsibility to, to help deliver what, what we all envision. And um, I'm excited by the opportunity, nervous about the opportunity, but those are good feelings. And, um, you know, they make you focus on what you do and they create a process and, and really commit to, to everything that that entails. And it's, 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 been a, it's been a fun ride, a wild ride for 18 months, and, and now it really begins. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. And, and Josh, you know, going into that, you know, you do have the responsibility, as Joe had mentioned, of taking charge of the first ever sports team in the city of Austin. So I just wanted to ask, like, how have you embraced that honor? And, and just what do you think has been the reaction as well from speaking to fans to those that are involved in the club at, at Austin? 
Yeah, I think there's a there's a great um, you know there's a great deal of support in the community, and and for us that's a big part of it. We are the first professional team. We have a responsibility uh, to our community, and and I think the first thing is understanding what Austin's about. It's a vibrant, young, hungry, energetic uh, city, and and that's what we want to be about when we play. We want to be hungry. We want to be dynamic. We want to have energy, and uh, you see it every day. I've, I've been I've been downtown for the last six months, and. You know, we work at, from out of downtown. You get to meet all the people in the different areas from Austin. It's it, it's diverse. Um, it's family-orientated, ton of people outside, and um, that's what we want to deliver. Uh, on the field, we want to be high-tempo. We want to be energetic. We want to be uh, – we want to have an identity, and, and, and we want to win games. We want to play nice soccer. We want to be an attacking-orientated team, but um, getting to know the people in the community is a big part of that, and, and our organization takes a lot of pride in that. Anthony shared that. Uh, Andy Lockman, our president, and – uh, we have a lot of events uh, pre-COVID where we were, Claudio and I were, were amongst the community, and, and that kind of went a little bit by the wayside as, as, as COVID took over and, and to date. But um, we, get a, we get positive feedback from our fans, and we're excited um, you know, by, the, by the players that we're bringing in and obviously looking forward to next season. Now, Josh, I had mentioned previously about your experience coaching as an assistant at DC United, uh, the Columbus Crew, and obviously an assistant with the U.S. men's national team. You were also on the squads for both the 2002 and 2006 World Cups, as well as the 2000 Olympics, a team that finished fourth in that competition. What, what can you take from your international experience as a player that helps you or will help you succeed as a coach in MLS? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, again, with, with all of those teams, it, it, it's it starts with environment and culture that you're in with 2002 and 2006 with Bruce, with the world cup team, with Clyde Charles at 2000 Olympics. And even my time with, with, with Bob Bradley in, in Chicago and even being an assistant coach with Greg in Columbus, it starts with the environment and the culture that you're, that you're building, the people that you're working with, the teammates that, that you create or the, the teammates that you have. And um, th- those things were, were, you know, were exemplary. Uh, I think that's also why we had the level of success we had with, uh, the 2000 World Cup and at the Olympics and 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 certainly with Columbus and, and Chicago in those early days, you, you have a you, know, you certainly want to establish a, a, a familial you know familial feel to what you're doing. Uh, the buy-in from the players, they want you want them to enjoy the way that you play, the way that you work, um, but you also want them to to share in the responsibility with along with the coaches. And uh, I think uh, I think all of those coaches and and certainly in those arenas. Uh, that's what I take away from it. I mean, it was it was enjoyable. It was fun to be part of, and 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 that allowed us to go out and perform at a good, a really really good level. And I'm focusing now on the roster and the players that were coming into Austin FC. You were able to get three South American players from the Paraguayan league, uh, three from Guarani exactly, and Johan Romagna, Cecilio Dominguez, and Rodney Redes. What attracted you the most about those players, and and ultimately to get them from that specific league? Yeah, I mean it's 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 interesting. Well, we got we got two players from Guarani. Obviously, um, obviously Cecilio was was an Independiente, and 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 we were able to fortunately have a good relationship with Guarani and uh, allow him to go there and, and go on loan so he keep playing. But um, we, Memo Yunko is our director of scouting, and you know along with myself, we we've been working together since January, and I've known him for a long time. So we've looked uh, and continue to look at. at players from all over the world, but, but Latin America in particular is, has been a very good uh, resource for our league. Um, we went down to the Hummel Ball U23 qualifying, so we're 
again, able to see some of the younger talent um, that was that that's certainly uh, out there. And, and along the way, we, we saw Rodney Redes in, in January and February and started to monitor him. And, and again, looking back, once COVID hit, we to, to track him and follow him. Um, and, and he was our first signing. And Cecilia Dominguez was someone we were really aware of and, and, and really not sure that we were um, going to be able to, to – a player that we could, could truly go after. But, again, I think as COVID starts to provide some, some problems, it also provided some, some pathway for, for other opportunities for players because from financially some teams were taken – um, you know, taken aback and, and needed to make some adjustments. So we were able to acquire those two players. They happened to be from Paraguay. Um, obviously, that's, that, that for us was, was a bit of a benefit that they could play together in Guarani. And, and, the, and the third one was Johan. Um, you know, it's just a process of us constantly watching Cecilio and Rodney. You're, you're able to see this player uh, week in and week out playing in uh, Copa Libertadores, playing in his domestic uh, league. So, um, he's a player that stood out for, for a number of reasons. And, and again, we were excited by the opportunity to go and get him. We're looking domestically for players. We're looking internationally for players. And, and again, just, just, you know, our ability to see him day in and well, not day in and day out, but game in and game out, um, allowed us to see the growth potential and, and somebody that we could, uh, envision being here with us in Austin. And everyone always asks about like a signature style that a team plays under a particular head coach. Obviously, Mauricio Sarri had his, had his system as an example. Mourinho has his park-the-bus system. You know, what do you think is going to be your style for your players at Austin? Yeah, I mean, you know, the styles vary and game-to-game. Uh, there's different strategies. But we, we want to be a team that, that is entertaining, that's exciting, that scores goals, ultimately that wins goals. Um, they're, they're, you know, I, I envision a level of organization. And, um, you know, certainly, you know, for us, the identity of what that looks like is really, really important. But, um, you know, we, we want to have the ball. But ultimately, we, we want to be able to use the ball and, and hurt the opponent and create goal-scoring chances and, and when we don't have the ball, be organized and be difficult to break down. And, and um, again, I think the players that we've, we've gone about reflect the way that we want to play. And the starting point is when you have the ball. And then, obviously, uh, when you think of those qualities and those traits, I think we've, we've gotten a pretty, a pretty good amount of players that fit into that. And, and when it comes to the defending side, that's, that's something that we'll teach. But, but, again, we like the profiles that we brought in. And um, It'll be nice to get out on the field. We'll learn a little bit more about the players as, as they'll learn a little bit more about us. Um, but I think the starting point is, is just that. We, we, we start with how we want to play and, and what those roles and responsibilities will be each position. And then we've gone out and tried to acquire players that we feel can, can execute that. Now, Josh, I'd like to close out with one more question. And again, thank you for joining us and thank you for your time. Finally, um, with, the, with, the season, um, with a season with a season with a new stadium, uh, an already passionate fan base, what are you What are you looking to achieve in your first season of MLS? What's your goals for Austin FC this year? We've got a number of goals. You, you mentioned it already. We we have a fan base that's that's passionate, that's hungry, um, that's extremely supportive. So so we want to put a product out there that first reflects Austin is is exciting and entertaining, um, one that that is is competitive from from the very beginning. Uh, we you know I've mentioned we want an energetic you know we want energy we want. Um, you know, to, to establish our style of play and, and certainly our identity on the field. Um, and then I think the success will come with that. And, and our, our goals are to make the playoffs. We, we, our expectations are to come in this year and compete. And, um, you know, I think if we, if, if we could take care of those things and continue to build, our, build out our roster, um, we're happy with where we're at. But we, we know there's some, some areas that we can bring in some, some, some more game-changing quality. And, uh, 
you know, we want to make the playoffs. We want to be competitive. And um, our fan base has, has expressed that. Our ownership has supported that. And um, that's something that we're looking forward to. It's a challenge, but um, one that we welcome. Josh, again, thank you for taking some time out today and joining us on the show. All the best of luck to you and the entire organization at Austin FC as you guys embark on your inaugural season. And uh, we hope to have you again uh, after you win MLS Cup this year. <laughs> no pressure. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Thank you for having me, guys. And thanks again to Josh Wolf and the folks over at Austin FC for allowing us to do that interview. We also had the pleasure earlier today of catching up with our great friend Tim Vickery from the BBC to talk about the Copa Libertadores as they venture into the semifinal rounds of that matchup. Uh, defending champions, as you heard in the trivia question as well with Santos uh, River Plate, Boca Juniors, and Palmeiras. So without further ado from the BBC, Tim Vickery. Joining us now on The Limit Football from the BBC, Tim Vickery. Tim, welcome back to the show. Uh, it's always great to have you on. I want to start out with the Copa Libertadores. Uh, obviously, we had our first round of semifinal matches coming up or this past week. River Plate losing 3-0 to Palmeiras while Boca Juniors uh, draws 0-0 with Santos. I know there's been uh, a lot of talk about some of the players uh, from River Plate actually preparing to move on to other other teams and other leagues, especially we've seen a couple of uh, players rumored to come to MLS um, soon after. What do you make of the different rumors of, of players looking to exit and your thoughts of the first round of semifinals? Well, I think well, for the time being, everyone's focused on on what happens in, in the next few days. Um, with... The uh, River Plate Palmeiras, I, I think the, these are by far the best two teams left in the in the competition. I think we probably saw that in the quality that we saw in the first le- in, in in that game and the lack of quality that we saw in the second game between between Boca and and, and Santos. And uh, what made that first game River Plate Palmeiras is is the clash of styles. It's the uh, it's the the expansive attacking attractive ball playing possession based side against a team who are who are terrific on the counter attack now I was one of the few even in Brazil who thought that Palmeiras were probably slight favorites uh, and uh, in the end that first leg it went, everything went to plan for the, for them and it, and it could have gone wrong what they did what Abel Ferreira did with his side was a little bit strange uh, and uh, they left Rivers right back, Montiel, I think, dangerously free. And he could have easily set up two goals in the first half. Um, but that the moment of magic just after halftime from Luis Adriano won the game, I think, and, and possibly has, has won the tie. Um, River just couldn't defend against him. He's, uh, I, I can't think of any better centre forward in, in South American football. Uh, and sometimes Palmeiras frustrate me because I don't think they sometimes they they, they don't use him enough. Um, and the, well, the fascinating thing from the second leg is because River have to chase three. No, can they chase three and not concede when they're up against the the, the pace that Palmeiras can put against them and the, the the all-round ability of of Luis Adriano? It will be an epic task if they get you know, if, they, if they get anywhere close. But going into the game, I think they'll they'll think, well, we've just got a little chance here, and that makes it worthwhile. I think staying up late to watch uh, to watch the match on Tuesday. 
And, and certainly for the other game as well, it, it's really open. But obviously, I think more of the advantage is going to Santos heading over their back at Via Vemiro. How would you favor both those teams in Santos and Boca Juniors uh, for that second leg, Tim? Well, I think the, the first leg suffers from the uh, the away goals thing um, because Boca don't want to concede. Uh, and uh, I, I personally, I don't think Boca will consider themselves underdogs in, 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 in any way at all. When their last trip to Brazil against the team international, at least as good as Santos, they came back with a victory and a very good victory. They should have won by, by, by more than, than 1-0. So uh, Boca will consider that the away goals is is now in their favour. If they get one, Santos have to get two. So I, I don't see a, a clear favourite in, in that one. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that the second game will be much, much better than the first. Definitely. And I think it'll be a very interesting final, regardless of who we see, you know, if River Plate can get that monumental task and qualify, or if Amelius do hold on and, and take on either Boca or Santos. So I think it'll be a very interesting final of what we'll see at the end of the month. I wanted to switch gears into a player that has been really into the interest of many teams around the world. And one player that really impressed me because he was so, I think, vital in one of the games between Ecuador and Colombia in the midfield, and that's the 19-year-old Moises Caicedo, the, the, the young midfielder from Independiente del Valle. Obviously, he's gotten a lot of interest over the last few weeks. You know, teams like Manchester United, teams like Atlanta United over there in MLS. I'm not going to ask you, Tim, where do you feel he will end up? I wanted to ask you, given that you've seen the player much more closer and, and just knowing what kind of style that he plays in, you know, where would you feel would be the best place for him to develop his talents and, and to grow as a player? Well, I'd, I'd like to see him in, in the Premier League. Um, uh, the uh, the tale of, of Almiron going to, to MLS first with the same club that, that Caicedo has been linked to uh, leaves doubts, I think. What's happened to him subsequently leaves doubts about whether that, that, was, that was the best course of action for him. Uh, and, uh, and Caicedo, and the, and the speed of his development is, is extraordinary. And his club is extraordinary, Independiente del Valle. It's it's an unbelievable project that they have there, that they've had for the last 15 years, you know, where they're producing with excellence. You know, they're getting in really good coaches, often from, from Spain, to work in the youth ranks, to develop players. Uh, and uh, then they manage to to build a side bring in a few from outside. There's usually two or three veterans there to give the team some, some stability to help the youngsters along. Uh, and uh, then they, uh, they go as far as they can with that team, sell practically everyone, bring in the next lot and still manage to, to be competitive. Uh, and uh, Caicedo is, uh, is a great example, the, the, the best example that they've had so far. I mean, at the start of the year, he wasn't in the first team. Um, he was uh, he, he was showing great promise uh, at under twenty level, uh, as uh, the club won the uh, the under twenty Copa Libertadores. But they had the, the team that had just won the Copa Sudamericana, the Europa League equivalent, with uh, a midfielder, another young Ecuadorian midfielder, Alan Franco, in in, in his place. Uh, so at the start of the year, when the Libertadores gets gets underway in March, he's a reserve to Alan Franco, but he's, he's already pushing. And then Franco is sold to Brazil, to Atletico Mineiro. Uh, and uh, that means that 
the door is open for Caicedo. So he and there's the interruption, obviously, with the with, with COVID. So he has to wait a little bit for that. But as soon as football resumes, you know, he's just taken to to first team football with uh, with in Ecuador, unbelievably well. And then the Libertadores starts, and that first week it's back in mid September, and the real eye catching results is uh, his side beating the reigning champions, Flamengo, 5-0. And he, he, he gets the ball rolling. He scores the first goal. And you're already seeing there that he's more than he thought that he was. And he talked about the start of the year, uh, his influence being Kante of Chelsea. Uh, and uh, there you see him in that, that game against Flamengo, uh, getting forward, uh, bursting past the strikers uh, and uh, offering, a, offering a threat on goal. So uh, he's he's already shown what a what a what a fabulous work in progress he is. Alfaro comes in at short notice uh, to coach Ecuador. One of the first things he does is has a look at this fella and say, "Well, you know what? We're going to get him in." Uh, and uh, what's the first thing he does? Scores a goal. You know, he's the first uh, with his head. Uh, he's the first player born in the 21st century to score a goal in 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 South America's World Cup qualifiers. Uh, and uh, you know, he's playing against Argentina, against Uruguay, away to Bolivia in, in La Paz, which is a real test, uh, and, and, and against Colombia. That's a, that's a tough start for any international career. But immediately, immediately, totally at home, you know, scoring goals, making goals, uh, looking like a terrific athlete, uh, and uh, and a great footballer as well. I mean, he, he's he's so cool in possession. He's he's choosing the right options. He's dynamic. He's getting around the field. So uh, that that kind of box to box dynamism, um, I think, fits in with the historic identity of uh, of, of English football. Uh, and and I would love to see him there. And uh, everything he's shown us uh, so far, everything that he, you know that he showed us in in 2020 leads to the conclusion that he can take anything that's thrown at him in, in, in 2021 and, and, and rise to the challenge. Definitely. And, you know, obviously, I think for Joe and I, you know, we'd like to see him in MLS because we feel like that would be something that would be, be uh, beneficial for the league and be a huge coup, I think, for him to go and beat out the big European clubs that want him as well. But switching into that, actually, um, you know, Atlanta United do have a new manager. They do have mm. Gabriel Heinze, who they just hired a couple weeks ago actually officially obviously is a manager that I think a lot of Atlanta United fans wanted to have on their list especially after what went wrong with Frank DeBoer and and still trying to follow what Tata Martino had done during the first two years at Atlanta United obviously has had experience being a manager at Godoy Cruz Argentinos Juniors and at Vélez Sarsfield what type of manager do you think that we'll be getting at Atlanta United this year? I was very, very impressed with his with his work at, at, at Vélez. And the pressure was off a little bit because they had the kids. Uh, and, and his real task was develop the kids. So that the, the pressure for, for results was, uh, it wasn't full on. Uh, and uh, he, he took advantage of that breathing space to, to bring some kids on extremely well and to be very interesting as a coach. I mean, he's... Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't think he was a great player, but look at his CV. You know, Man United, Real Madrid, Paris Saint Germain, lots of caps for Argentina. You know, it's a great CV. What got him there? Uh, for me, as a player, he, he fell a little bit between maybe not quite a centre back and not quite a left back. 
And I'd, I'd never never thought he was really there at the top level, but terrific bloke and very, very intelligent one as, as well. Um, and uh, watching him coach Velez and some of the ways that he was using the, 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 the fullbacks uh, were, were very interesting. You know, and part of the, the whole start of the Marcelo, Biel, Marcelo Bielsa thing was the idea that if you, if you want to attack the conventional fullbacks in a 4-4-2, it's almost like a waste of a player, you know. And Bielsa never wanted uh, one fullback up and then one fullback to cover back. He wanted both up at the same time. Uh, and uh, Heinz, uh, you can see he's thought about what to do with the fullbacks, um, whether they can go outside or whether they can tuck in to, in, into the central midfield as well. Um, so uh, that, I think, uh, will, will be interesting to see what he does tactically with the side. And I think he'll, he'll want to attack. Uh, and uh, I think it's a, it's a very interesting stage in his career. Now, Tim, before we let you go, I'd like to ask you actually another coaching question. Um, and it goes back to Flamengo. And uh, we saw roughly a little over a year ago, uh, George Jesus was, was doing fantastically there. Takes Flamengo to the uh, Copa Libertadores title as well as the Brazilian League title. He steps away, uh, in comes Dominant Turan, and it, it goes completely sideways. And now we're at Rogerio Senni, the, uh, the former goalkeeper. Um, my question to you is, how have Flamengo performed in your eyes so far under uh, Rogerio Senni, especially given the, the great turmoil that they experienced with coaching over the past, say, 10 to 12 months? Well, it's it's hard to judge because with the condensed calendar, there's so little time to to, to do any training. Uh, I think it was a it was a mistake to to sack Torrent, who I don't think was doing a bad job at all. Um, he, he he had that disaster at altitude uh, with uh, in that game that we we, we mentioned uh, when they lost five nil to Independiente, Independiente del Valle. Hard for the European coaches to, to to do altitude, you know. It also undid uh, Carlos Queiroz, Colombia um, altitude. You know, it's something that if you if you don't know about it, it's difficult to prepare for. But anyway, the the, the side responded pretty well, and that they'd gone on a run of of twelve games unbeaten, and then they suffered two heavy defeats in a week, and they responded by sacking Torrent. Uh, the the problem that they've had. Uh, and this was a problem un, uh, uh, this year uh, or last year under Jorge Jesus, was the model of play was dependent on Pablo Mari, the uh, the Spanish centre-back, who uh, they did some fantastic scouting to find him. You know, he was a Man City player who was on loan at La Coruña in Spain. Uh, and uh, he came in and right from the start, he organised a high line. And that, that high defensive line was the basis of everything that Flamengo did under Jorge Jesus. Um, that high line, the, the team compact in the opposition's half of the field, uh, that that enabled them to pick an attacking side and, and have the ball flowing. Um, once Pablo Mari, and it was indicative, you know, that, that he was the one, he was the one who was who was snapped up by European football and uh, and by Brazilians, you know, by uh, Edu Gaspar and so on at, at, at the Arsenal. So without him, they they've been struggling all along, and they were struggling under under that they clearly weren't the same team even before the resignation of, of Jorge Jesus, because the centre-backs that they brought in are not good enough to play. They're not good at playing in a high line. They're, they brought in a couple of Brazilian centre-backs who were very vulnerable in open space. So that defence was always likely to collapse. 
Um, always, there's always a possibility. You know, playing a high line is a risk. Playing a high line with defenders who are not very good at it is a is a huge risk. So uh, the, um, the 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 two heavy defeats that that Torrent suffered in a week, for me, was not a not a. You know, it was obvious that there, there were times when this was going to go wrong, uh, and I thought it was a mistake to sack him. And uh, I think it's been proved right because they got Rogério Seni in. Uh, and uh, they were fighting on three fronts, and those three fronts are very, very important. Not only the Brazilian title, but defending the Libertadores and the Brazilian Cup. And the Brazilian Cup is taken very seriously here. There's, there's a lot of money at stake. So uh, within the, the first couple of weeks of uh, of Seni coming in, they'd be knocked out of the Libertadores and knocked out of the Brazilian Cup. You know, mm-hmm. Had they stuck with, uh, with Torrent, I'm not sure that that would have happened, especially in, in the Libertadores when they went out to a very mediocre... Uh, Racing side from 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 Argentina, so really now now that they've 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 lost those uh, been eliminated from those two competitions, the only thing left is is the Brazilian Championship, where they're chasing uh, São Paulo, um, which which is 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 going to be fascinating. Uh, and São Paulo were beginning to have an attack of the wobbles. They lost a game four two in the week. Flamengo lost their last game. We're speaking now on Sunday morning. They're playing in today, but they lost their last game against Fluminense, who uh, have a greatly inferior squad. So there's a uh, little, little bit of pressure pressure on. Um, but it, it's almost, and it's being seen here, that after the eliminations of the from the Libertadores and the, and the, the the Brazilian Cup, it's almost like an obligation now for them to win the Brazilian Championship. Um, so far. Seni and again Rogério Seni just he hasn't had any any time to work. But so far it would seem to me that in comparison with with Torrent, he hasn't improved the defence and he's probably uh, uh, gone backwards with the attack. Um, so it's it's all very very much in flux. And I think they would have they would have done far better to to have stuck with Torrent until the end of the year until the end of the, the season. Will, will they will they look to pull the trigger and and get rid of Seni, seeing that he's struggling um, as quickly as they did with Torrent, or do you think they'll stick with him much longer? Um, well, if if they win the Brazilian Championship and they're they're very very much in the fight, then they'll they'll they'll, they'll stick with him. Uh, I would imagine that they'd, they'd stick with him for a while later. Um, give give him some time on the training group. Please don't yeah. sack him before he's he's, he's been able to have mon- uh, many many training sessions. Um, but you never know with uh, with um, Brazilian administrators. But I would imagine just the mere fact of being Rogério Ceni with all the prestige that that entails, and and the fact that he's that he's Brazilian. Will buy him some space that they they, they didn't give to uh, to Torrent. Like Roberto and I here always say, it's it's a what have you done for me lately job, unfortunately, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and that's that's the way they treat many managers, not only in Brazil but it seems everywhere in the world. So, Tim, thank you again for coming on the show and joining us. We always appreciate having you on, and always look forward to the next time we have you back. My pleasure. Thank you. And special thanks again to Tim Vickery for joining us on the show. Rob, we have some great matches of the week. We've got a jam-packed week, believe it or not. In a couple of leagues, we're actually going to give you a couple of matches because there are some big ones this week. Let's start out with Tuesday. Atletico Madrid-Sevilla face off in the in La Liga at 3.30 p.m. And Rob, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, Atleti currently leading the way, but provisionally because of their games at hand, can be up as much as 10 points 
on Real Madrid. So that match becomes a massive, massive one to watch because Athletic can stretch that lead out, making up those matches. On Tuesday also, 7.30 p.m., Palmeiras River Plate. That one goes to the second match of their Copa Libertadores tie. Palmeiras currently holding a 3-0 lead over River Plate in that one. On Wednesday, we go to the EPL with Aston Villa facing Tottenham at 3.15 p.m. And in the evening, we have Santos and Boca Juniors continuing their Libertadores tie at 5.15 p.m. That one, again, a nil-nil draw going into the second leg. On Friday, we we really get started. The Rome Derby in Italy. Lazio Roma, 2.45 p.m. Saturday will take us back to Germany in the Bundesliga for Wolfsburg and RB Leipzig at 9.30 a.m., as well as Angers and PSG in Ligue 1 at 3 p.m. to see how that race continues to tighten up. And then on Sunday, some massive, massive matches. Liverpool, Manchester United, 11.30 a.m. in the Premier League, followed by the Derby d'Italia to close out the weekend. Inter Juventus at the San Siro, 2.45 p.m. That one is going to be must-see TV as well. Mr. Rojas, you gave me a great trivia question. I'm going to throw a couple numbers at you, but if you wouldn't mind repeating the question for our guests. Absolutely. So going back to our conversation with Tim Vickery talking about the Copa Libertadores, we have four teams in the semifinals, four former champions actually, who have won the competition before. Um, And so my question to you is, out of the four teams that we have, Boca Juniors, River Plate, Santos, and Palmeiras, how many Copa Libertadores titles have they won combined? Now, I know I'm going to get this wrong the first time. I'm trying to think of even how many uh, titles Boca and River have won in the past six, seven years, which I, th- I want to say between the two of them is something like four uh, titles in the past seven or eight years, just between the two of them. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go a little bit big on the number, but I think I'm going to throw 15 at you to start. To combine for all the four teams? All four teams, yeah. You, it is not 15. Am I high or low? You are low. I'm sorry, you are high. You I, are high. Oh, wow. I, okay, so I, I know it's going to be double digits, so I'm going to go 12. You are low. I'm still low. Oh, so, so, there's, so actually, um, now, 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 now you're on your final strike. Yeah, you're actually on your final strike. So so, so do I do 13 or 14? I'm going to go. Thir- that's the one. Which one do you want? I'm going to go 13. I'll go unlucky 13. 14. Whoa, come on. 14 titles combined for all four teams. Boca Juniors with six, River Plate with four, uh, Santos with three, and Palmeiras with one. I would have expected more for Santos than three. Nope, Um, they've won three. 1962 and 63 during the Pele years, and then 2011, uh, 10 years ago actually, um, when Neymar was on the team. Those are the only three titles that Santos have won. Boca have won it in 77, 78. 2000, 2001, 2003, and 2007. River Plate's four titles in 1986, 1996, 2015, and 2018. And Palmeiras' only title was back in 1999. And you know, technically, I might, I could, I could argue that I could be correct because we're gonna have a 2021 winner, and that would make 15 titles. So that's right. Yeah, we're, we're still we're not discussing alternative facts here. This, this that, is that's fact. right. <laughs> and 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 as we start politically, we end politically. So that's that's <laughs> how we do it. So without anything left on the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. 
So, for episode 311 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Josh Wolf and the folks at Austin FC for joining us on the show, as well as Tim Vickery from the BBC for joining us. Next week, we will look at the finals of the Copa Libertadores, and we will take a look back at the leagues, especially since we're getting much, much closer to the round of 16 of Champions League knockout rounds. So, with... For episode 311 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.